Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me, as always, is co-host Steve Mez. If it's your first time listening, this podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been following the Blaney Racing family for two decades, and Team Blaney itself has been providing news, notes, and analysis to fans on social media since 2014. So go ahead and pull those belts tight and hang on as we throw the green flag on our recap of Ryan Blaney's run in the season opening, Daytona 500. Steve, as I just said, welcome back. It's episode four of the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season, and obviously we had the clash a couple of weeks ago. Everyone's been pumped up for the season. It was finally here, and I was at the iconic Daytona International Speedway for the Daytona 500, and all the pomp and circumstance and crowd levels and everything, the race, the finish, it delivered. Yeah, it was quite quite the day. It was nice. Uh, the weather this whole week was actually good. Um, the last couple of years, that has not always been true. Um, so they ran the race on time and didn't have to worry about finishing a day or two later or having any issues with that. So. Yeah, overall, um, the experience was great. It looked like fans had a great time. And uh, the weekend of racing was was crazy. Uh, you know, uh, Josh and uh, Zane Smith went on Friday night um, with, with the truck series in his new ride. And then uh, Saturday night, uh, they tear up the whole track. You know, Michael Jordan's bus takes a hit on the backstretch with pieces of uh, of the car ripping apart. And everybody walked away from that one, so... Um, I couldn't even tell you who won the race. All you saw online was the accident, this and the accident, that. And, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah. And then we got to uh, Sunday's event and um, it was quite eventful. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good weekend overall for racing. Yeah. So one thing to mention just real quick, thank you to everyone that reached out to me on social media. I talk a lot on this podcast about Daytona kind of being our home track since we live in central Florida. We were all geared up to go to the 500. We had tickets through the whole weekend, everything really excited. Um, But I think I said on there, life kind of gets in the way sometimes. And we had a little bit of a family medical emergency that sidelined us for the week. Um, So we ended up watching it from afar this time. But um, again, thank you to everyone that reached out to me on social media and in texts and email and in other ways to, to check on us and see how everything is going. And uh, just really appreciate it. But we still were able to enjoy the race, cheer, cheer everyone on, cheer Ryan on, um, and still kind of take it all in and then look forward to uh, to other races that are coming up uh, throughout the rest of the season, though. Um, but yeah, exciting stuff. I mean, they said uh, the crowd, I mean, the crowd level on TV looked insane. Um, we've done several times done the infield passes and been out there in the crowd for driver intros and in the concert. And it does seem packed, but I mean, it looked like double the amount, uh, people were down there. And I think they said an estimated 140,000 to 150,000 people were going to be there. 
uh, on Sunday and it, it looked at the stands were packed. Um, the only time I ever saw a seat empty was, you know, just after a, a restart or something. So um, it looked like it was an incredible experience for everybody. And again, to mention, like you just said, the weather was beautiful. And I think we have a lot to do with that because we have sat through so many rainouts and rain delays at Daytona in the, you know, the last six or seven years that we've been going that the one time we don't go, the weather was perfect. <laughs> So everybody out there, you're welcome for that weather at, at Daytona this past weekend. Yes, you're the Charlie Brown of, of racing where the, the rain cloud just follows you right to the track. <laughs> so, yeah. So like I said, we're going to jump right into our, our recap of the Daytona 500. And Ryan uh, had, an, had an up and down day, an exciting day. Um, but hey, why don't we do our, our normal uh, our lap by lap, right? You have notes for every yeah, lap. Let's yeah, let's let's go with yeah, let's go every <laughs> single lap. Uh, I need to know lap. I need to know his running position at, at the end of every lap here, Steve. To make every this, lap. oh yep. my gosh, yeah, I, this the shorthand was a little bit different. Uh, super speedway racing definitely is a, a lot more challenging. If I went back, I probably could figure out how to do that. Um, but uh, no, there's so many shifts and changes within a, within a lap or two. Um, it's crazy. So yeah, the, um, the stages were 65, 130, and 200. And, uh, the fuel window was like 41, 42, uh, laps. Although I think they kind of went a little shorter than that most of the day. Uh, Ryan with his, uh, finishing the duel, he actually started P7 and chose pit stall number two, which, uh, Daytona is not totally important, although it was really good to be the, the first forward off a of pit road, if you could, and hopefully lead the train out. Um, Josh, uh, comes on the radio before they start and says, uh, just win the last lap. And, uh, that's actually a really good sentiment. You know, you can lead laps all day long at Daytona or any of the any other races, but, uh, the last lap is the one you want to lead. And, uh, that's, a, that was a good thought right off the bat. Um, some of the teammate working right off the bat on the first lap, uh, the 21 car, they kind of let him down in line um, from the top to the bottom. So they were working already right off the bat, making sure all the Fords got together. Um, and at lap two, the, it looked like the high line was uh, making the move out front and the six and the seven were out, out in front of that. Um, so uh, by lap three, the 12 um, actually made it up to the high line was, was P11. So, you know, everybody looked like they wanted to get single file pretty quickly if they could. And at that point, uh, he hurried up and made sure he got in the correct line. Um, but you had said he, early on in the race, he let 21 actually down and then Ryan ends up at the top. And I think at some point the 21 joins him eventually. But yeah, you're just kind of jogging for position. You, you can be a little bit selfish here and there to see who you want to run with. But um just moving right right off the bat like you said you're already seeing that strategy you're already seeing lines moving around based on energy yeah. so the good thing is i mean uh we saw this in the duels and even in practice and stuff even though brand new next gen car uh for this season in nascar it's still daytona and it's still raced like daytona yeah i mean they you know within four or five laps the, you know, the one line passes the other line they you know it was just a matter of who was bumping harder drafting harder um, and really that early in the race, they didn't really need to be doing that, but, uh, you know, they all kind of wanted to test out the cars to see how these cars would operate in a pack of 30 or 40 cars. Um, by uh, lap 17, he's P10 and, um, they were clear of the inside line. So he was up on that outside and the outside, you know, 10th place was already in front of the lower line. So, um, the low lane, um, then starts moving about 10 laps later and then. Ryan jumps down there, you know, so 
it's just back and forth in that first first stage. Um, they do go green flag pitting at lap 37. Um, they were talking about two tires, uh, which is really the strategy that helped uh, help the Fords in the in the duels. So um, at lap 39, the pitting cycle was complete. And of course, right away, there's a caution at lap 40. And uh, he was 15th at this point. And um, the 50 car lost a wheel. And I, yeah, that one's going to be real bad for them because they NASCAR said it's like a four race penalty for the crew chief. And, uh, you know, if you have one, one lug nut, so not so good. And I mean, it made me nervous. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the wheels going into the season and the one lug nut and, you know, what the, the degree of difficulty was going to be and teams leading up into this have said, you know, it's not easy to get that one lug on. It's not easy to get the wheel on. And, uh, a little bit later on, we're going to be talking about wheels a little bit more when it comes to Penske and RFK racing, but um, it's just, it just surprised me because if you saw these pit stops, these were two tires pit stops and the, the crew members were actually standing around for the last couple seconds mm-hmm. of each stop waiting for the fuel to go in because they still have to pack it with fuel. enough fuel. Um, so it's like, how can they mess this up? when they have all this extra time just to put the one wheel on. So yeah. um, I, but I don't know. I don't think it's the last one we're going to see this year. Uh, I was surprised how quickly it happened at, you know, the first stop of the Daytona 500 and somebody loses a wheel. Um, it is dangerous. Uh, I mean, you know, shorter track or something, you know, another car, you know, flies by, hits that wheel. It can fly up, you know, into the stands or something. So it's something NASCAR is definitely going to have to look at. And um, as you were saying, it's probably going to end up being in a pretty severe penalty for the team because you got to be careful. You can't let that happen. And this kind of like will cause the um, pit crews on pit road, because I know Ryan's pit crew is part of this, where um, they're a little more cautious too. Um, and, and as we're coming up to it here, they actually do something on a, on a pit stop. And it's based on the fact that they were all nervous about what they saw. Um, they re- restarted at lap 46 there. And um Lap uh, 48 to five is rubs Ryan. And we see this on, they do a good job of getting the replay on TV of this, where they kind of run into each other a little bit. And they're a little bit worried about a tire rub there. And um, at lap 51, there's a caution for debris. The 31 car lost his, his tire, not, not the whole wheel, but his tire off of the rim. And um, like I said, we're not even sure what happened there. No one actually, re- they didn't really report that one because I don't no. know he blew yeah, a tire was, and it came off or that one's more of a mystery. I saw some reports where people had talked with Chris Rice, who's the, I think the president of colleague racing. And he said, initially he thought it was more of a tire issue that yeah, the tire was going down or they had run over something. And at some point after that, it went flat and then actually came loose off the wheel. And then by the time Haley had made it back around to pit road, the wheel itself was destroyed. My, my initial, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert when it comes to any of the engineering or parts or anything, but my initial thought was maybe the, uh, the wheel itself was loose and shattered and then came apart. But again, I don't know how any of that really works, but that was my initial thought was we left a, a wheel kind of loose this time and it shook itself until it broke and came apart. So I'm sure that's another thing that's headed back to the R and D center, or they're going to collect as much data from that 31 car as they can possible. Because again, even just that tire carcass flying mm-hmm. off can do some damage to another car or a person or a fan or a crew member or something that's, that's out there when those go flying off. So again, 
not the you know it's kind of a shaky start to this race with just initially right away the tire issues kind of taking center stage yeah they're um uh they're worried about the tire rub from from uh, rubbing into the five there so they they put uh and they talk about four tires and they check for the for the uh, right rear for you know the rub and they work on that um uh and uh jonathan actually says uh, that they're watching the videos about the the tire like when they put the tires on um they were just kind of going back to make sure they had them tight you know so they were watching their their personal video on that um <clears throat> they restart lap 56 he's in 33rd after fixing making sure there was no damage there um within three or four laps up in the up to 28th and then at lap 63 we get a caution um for the, the six car pushing the 21 um uh, mike joy on the broadcast uh i took note of this he says oh crap which is you know from a play-by-play guy you just didn't expect uh but uh the actual wreck itself that caught the 24 the 18 the 11 the 21 of course the 48 the 20 the one all got involved in some manner uh and, and got damaged and uh, that car got on its hood and off luckily it got back off of its hood but uh a lot of people are not happy with the fact that it went up pretty quick and turned uh, upside down pretty quick. One thing, or well, I mean, I think I have three, maybe three notes here. If I can remember them by the time I'm done talking, but what the, first of all, how is it that everyone saw this crash happening except for Brad, who was, was pushing him again. I'm definitely not a NASCAR driving expert either, but when you, at least, you know, from the in-car camera they were showing and from the, just the, the wide camera, the way the 21 was just bouncing around, just didn't look like that car was handling well being pushed. Um, and they, this place that he caught him in was in the transition coming out of the turn down onto the, you know, relatively flatter part uh, of the straightaway. And it was really upsetting that car. And like, it just seemed like the, the six car just, didn't notice that and just kept pushing away all the way until he actually spun them. Uh, so second point, like you just said, um, for years, NASCAR with the different flaps that pop up and aerodynamic changes and various things have been trying their best. Uh, they talked about slowing the cars down. So the liftoff speed was different. Um, yet still, you know, first, you know, big track, high speed race for the next gen car. And immediately we have a car go on its roof. Um, I think you just mentioned as well on the bright side, it went on its roof and immediately came back down on all four wheels relatively quickly. Um, so that's kind of good news, I guess, but I mean, we got three more super speedway. Well, well, maybe six or, or five, if the Atlanta races turn out to be super speedway races, uh, to see, to test this out, but it was kind of a little bit unnerving that a car still went over. And third point that I had that I noticed, if you look at like Denny Hamlin's car and a couple other cars that get caught up in some wrecks this year or in this race, the cars don't look that beat up, but they had enough damage to take them out of the race. So like Hamlin's car looked, you know, a little bit crumpled, a little bit beaten, banged, but it looked like a car that could get back out there again and keep running. But I guess, you know, he must have broken. I, I don't the suspension parts in these with the independent suspensions and things seemed like they might be a little bit more fragile. Plus the fact that they have all these composite bodies on the car now as, as well that are actually a little bit tougher. So I feel like it's almost concealing some of these uh, failures, part failures that we would have seen, you know, when the, the sheet metal would have been ripped off in a normal accident. So you see this with several cars throughout the day where they get in one of these accidents, they drive away. It looks like they're fine, <laughs> uh, but they, on the inside, they are not fine. Yeah. Uh, what's underneath is a little different. 
Um, of course, I get to the end of the stage with all this, and uh, the 19 car win stage one. Um, <clears throat> that they do do. Uh, Jonathan does. Uh, there's some different pit calls that they were using, some code words and so forth. But basically, come down to whether it was going to be no tires, two tires, or four tires. I mean, that's all they really could do. Yeah, and we're trying to decipher these <laughs> for fun between you and I and the folks that we had in the Team Blaney Discord channel. We're all trying to figure out what Menards and one, two, three, Menards three, all, like all these things mean. And we had different ideas throughout the day. And um, worth noting in this stage, uh, with that extra pit stop and the extra care they took to check for the the tire issue on the rear, no points, no stage points in this first stage for Ryan either. Yeah, yeah, he ended up. Uh back a little bit there and uh you know but you know it, it you know just trying to fix the damage make sure it was right is the main thing at that point it's a long race um <clears throat> by the stage two restart there um uh they do a good job on the pit stop itself and uh end up near the front so lap 72 he's in p2 taking the top lane for the restart and within a lap he leads at daytona and uh this was a fun part to listen to because this is uh, Josh and, and Ryan back and forth, uh, giving him the info of what line is doing, what, where the push is coming from. And, uh, you know, it's coming from two back, one back. Is it the guy right behind him? How much of a gap do you drag a little bit to get the guy closer to you? Um, they've been pretty much controlled the race there for a great number of laps. Um, and at lap 83, I noticed it was 10 of the top 11 cars were Fords. So not only did he get up there, but all the Fords got together and they were starting to control the race. Um, at lap 85 is a 25 car single file uh, line. And the Fords uh, were, were about to pit that the question mark ahead was in lap 96, but they actually end up going a little further than this. Um, Jonathan asks about the balance. Uh, no issues, all good, Ryan says. So they didn't even want to really adjust the car. No turning of a wrench at all. Just, you know. And um, that lap 91, they tell me it's plus three to our numbers. So they're talking about fuel mileage here. Um, and at lap 104, the green flag pinning starts um, with some of the other teams. But at lap 108, the Fords start coming and uh, they go in first and uh, come out third after the stops compared to everybody else. Um, a couple of cars, I have a question mark at the six and 17 and up in front of them. They may have been fuel only. Maybe that's part of why. Um, they didn't mess with any tires, but you should have at least taken two tires if you could have, just because that takes at least that amount of time to put the amount of fuel in there you needed. So, um, at lap 116, talk about trying to save fuel. Uh, they're being kind of aggressive on the fuel strategy here. Now, this is uh, the one of those things about pushing versus um, being pushed um, and being in the back or being in front. Uh, the guy in the front, he's going to use more fuel than anybody else. The guys behind him that are drafting off of him don't have to go full throttle. So, you know, Ryan was in a position where he was behind a couple guys or a guy or two here or there, and um, it actually paid off for them. Um, when they get to the end of the stage, and like I said, they did it based on the fuel window. Um, so end of the stage, uh, the 19 wins the stage, and Ryan ends up P11. So it, you know, it worked out as far as like making it to the end of the stage. But on the other hand, he couldn't be aggressive and race for a, a top 10 position because uh, they were afraid of running out of fuel. 
Yeah, he raced up there for a little while, and then you saw right when they started talking fuel mileage, he kind of just dropped. He dropped back further than 11th, I think, and he actually made it back up a couple more positions. But I think that was also a lot of people around them uh, worried about fuel mileage. So one thing to mention here is that this is not the first time this year you are going to hear about aggressive fuel strategies and needing to save because, as we talked earlier about these pit stops, you can put two tires on a car pretty fast now. and they're when they're trying to do a full fuel run, they're just waiting for the fuel to go into the car. I think you're going to see just aggressive strategies all year long with people pushing just how quickly they can get out of the pits after putting, you know, after two tire stops. And that kind of seems like that's what what's happened in this situation. And I already saw the nervous people on Twitter, the nervous people again in our, in our discord race chat talking about like, Oh man, once again, you know, just, I'm so nervous watching this, hoping that he can make it to the end of the stage. And for me, I was just a little bit more frustrated in the fact that, yeah, it's great. We made it to the end of the stage here, but we missed out on stage points. And it just had confused me as to why, why we needed to go with a fuel saving or a fuel aggressive fuel strategy in a second stage. When the way Daytona works, you can go from, you know, 18th to first, you know, within a couple of laps. So Again, I, I don't know. I'm not the crew chief. Uh, I'm not going to question Jonathan necessarily, but um, it just seemed like an odd time to to try to push it on fuel, especially just at Daytona and not at another type of track. Well, two to three seconds on pit road, though, extra is the difference between being with the pack and being 20 some seconds down, hopefully to hang on to the lead lap. Um, Chase Elliott, uh, this actually, I think, happened to him um, where he, you know, his pit stop took a little longer. And he ended up being, you know, luckily he stayed on the lead lap, didn't get lapped by the pack. But that so is a good that's point. Part, that's part of why. I mean, it, it, it's a dangerous game that they all played. But you, you, if you don't leave the pit road with everybody else, and you're just just far enough back where you can't catch that group, you you end up in no man's land. And you know, like I said, if it stays green or there's no no. Uh, caution or it's a long green flag run you could end up losing a lap so and actually i think you're right in some of the interviews pre-race drivers were concerned about that just based on the way that the duels ran that cars that were pretty decent lost the draft and ended up you know not finishing too well i think we even saw jacques villeneuve at some point during at the beginning right right at the beginning of the race he lost a draft immediately but a little bit later on in the race even though i think he was a couple of laps down he was fast enough to race up into the middle of the pack. So it's like, that wasn't a slow car. He just was a little bit inexperienced and a lost, lost the draft right off the, right off the bat. So that's yeah. a good point. Thanks for your setting me straight a little bit there on that one. I didn't necessarily think about that specifically, yeah. but still, I was still a little frustrated. Uh, I think the same thing happened last year too. We started the season off without stage points. So uh, well, I think it was just, well, we I was hoping to be a little bit better. We started off the season where, where uh, Ryan well, yeah. was on the couch watching the finish. Um, That's true. Literally, he got he got home before the end of the race. Um, so Jonathan does say, sorry, they put him in a bad situation there with that strategy, but uh, they pit going in 11th, come out 9th, and the restart is at lap 137. He's in 7th uh, as the restart starts, and um, you know within a couple laps into the top 5, it's the 6, the 2, the 23, the 43, and the 12. At lap 150, we had a caution. Um, the uh, eight, let's see, the eight, 27, 19, 45, and the 22 are involved. And uh, Ryan is up to fifth at this point. Um, and uh, the 22, oh, let's see, 22 had flat tire at that point. 
ended up a lap down because he was in the middle of that. Yeah. So that was another thing about flat tires. Um, if you got four flat tires on sliding, because they were saying that some of these cars, if they slide, they'll pop, pop the, you know, and all four, um, the cars don't move well on the rotor um, or on the, on the wheel. I'm sorry, not the rotor, but on the wheel, trying to bring it back to, uh, to pit road. Um, it's bad Joey news. Got, yeah. yeah. It's, there's going to be some issues where cars are going to get stuck. If this is something that's going to continue. If you, um, uh, if you heard Joey's, so you just mentioned that there's this crash. He kind of gets caught up in a little bit here. Right. They, um, if you listened, I heard one clip of Logano's in-car audio from this, and he was just about as mad as you possibly could be. Um, from the wheel issue that we'll talk about a little bit later to the flat tire issue and, and the clearance being an issue that he's, they had mentioned that uh, he said they talked to NASCAR about and they didn't do anything. So so one of the, the main things that's happening here is they've gone to these bigger tires or these bigger wheels with low profile tires. And the ride height, the teams, it's again, there's no ride height rule in the cup series. And I think actually they might've even, I'm not sure they might've eliminated it in the other series for this season too, but no ride height rule. So they are still trying to keep these cars as sucked down to the low, to the ground as possible. There's nothing saying that they have to do that. They could jack them up and not have this issue when the tires go flat of not being able to move, but no, they want to keep them as far as possible. And then on the underside of the car, I'm not sure what their purpose was, but they do have these blocks uh, that are on the underside of the car. So when you do get this flat tire, these blocks end up scraping the surface of the track and you just can't get anywhere. So um, I think when we kind of talked about this just offhand on Sunday, I had mentioned, I'm like, well, it's kind of on the teams. If they would put enough ride height into these cars, they probably would be able to move, but they don't want to because they're giving up too much when it comes to downforce and aerodynamics and things like that. But I think it's going to be a learning experience throughout this season with this new car, because you can test as much as you want in a wind tunnel or even at testing with cars, you know, but until it's out on the track doing hundreds and hundreds of laps. Um, but I mean, none of the, like the COT, you saw how, how big that changed from having the big wing and the splitter and all of that stuff, how that evolved into the gen six car. Um, there was never a car that just came out and they were fine with, and it ran, after that, they're constantly making changes. So um, it's going to be a learning experience all year long. And we'll just have to see it might, the teams might just have to adjust uh, and know that you're running the risk of losing laps because you need towed or pushed in because your car won't move because you lost two or three of your tires. Yeah. Uh, we get to lap 155 here and they pit, uh, they go in fifth, come out third. Uh, they went fuel only there. And uh, it was the two and the 23 who left in front of them. Um, at lap 160, uh, the 12 pushed the two to the lead, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, up front again with, uh, you know, at lap 164, the 23 takes the lead on the outside and at lap 166, the two, the 23 swap leads each lane, Ryan's on the inside lane, of course, behind the two, and they just kind of go back and forth for a couple laps, which is pretty good action, you know, um, at lap 169, Jonathan tells Ryan he's good on fuel to push too at this point because they were kind of making sure when when they pitted, they were inside the window but barely inside the window, and they just wanted to make sure they were good on fuel for like a uh, a green white checkered, you know. Uh, lap uh, 175, um, the 23, the 18 do a good push out to the front, and uh, it's 23, the 18, the two, and the 12 at that point. 
And uh, lap 177, the 47 takes the lead. And he's a new player in town, and he gets up in there. And uh, Ryan is eighth at this point. Kind of got a little bit shuffled back with all this stuff going on. Um, at lap 180, the uh, the 23 is trying to save gas himself. So uh, they kind of he's kind of holding up the bottom line, hoping for a good push so he doesn't use as much throttle. Uh, Ryan goes on to the high line to get away from that. Uh, he's in tenth. Uh, <clears throat> a lap or two later, is up to ninth. And then a lap 188, the Ford's kind of organized, and Ryan is in fifth. And uh, <clears throat> it does a pretty good job at that point. It's the 47, the 17, the 4, the 2, and the 12 uh, with like 10 to go. And then the next lap, we get the caution for the 47. Um, or, uh, well, no, not, not for the 47, um, but the, who was the caution at that point? I'm sorry. 47 is the last, the second to the last caution. Yeah, he was the one that was after that. I forget what triggered this one specifically. This one, yeah. I can't remember. Uh, was this? No, I don't know. The 62, the 62, the 43, the 38, and the 9. Oh, okay. 17, 17, 4, and the 5. That's right. The 17 got hit from the behind from the 4 and the 5, and they made like a sandwich in there. And then, yeah, it involved the 62, the 43, the 33, and the 9. I'm sorry. I had, I had it in my notes, but. Um, and they do a red flag for this to clean up uh, the melee because on TV they get to talk to Ricky to find out like his game plan on what to do there. Um, you know, Jonathan says make sure we're saving fuel during during this time period and knocking the temp out of it is one thing he tells them too. Um, so lap one ninety two, it is the forty seven, um, the two, the twelve, the six, twenty three, seventeen, ten, eighteen, fourteen, and forty two. That's our top ten. Six forwards inside that top ten. Um, at lap 194, the 47 takes the high line on the restart. I, I, it was kind of weird that he did that um, because what he had done at that point is he put the two in front of Ryan. He put the Penske guys together. If he had taken the low line, he would have split them up. So I, I don't quite understand his thinking on that because he just helped Penske out immensely there. Um, and then at lap 195, the six... Uh, ends the 47's day. Um, and uh, what's interesting in this is the 23 gets damaged. The, the right front fender comes off the car. Um, and uh, the two's leading the 12 is second. The 23 is in third. Um, Bubba asks Ryan to uh, be a spotter. They ask to, to check and make sure there's no tire rub. And uh, he says, yeah, there's, there's no tire rub because there's nothing to really rub it. No fender. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> fender there. Um, what's interesting about this is also they're kind of worried of whether or not he'll be able to push. Um, so some of the discussion about what happens in the next, you know, the, 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 the green white checker that's coming up and a lot of people about why they do this and why they do that. Well, one of the big things, and they were talking about it on the radio there is whether or not the 23 was actually going to be able to push Ryan, you know, everybody says, Oh, they should have just hooked up. It's like, well, we're not sure that he could have just hooked up. Um, and at the end, they did. At the end of the, you know, yep. in that final, whatever they, they do. But if you watch the last two laps, the Greenway checkered, a lot of Bubba's runs came from behind him. He got bumped and then got bumped into Ryan. So, you know, it, it was the momentum of the line that, that kind of, you know, so they do have the Greenway checkered. Um, and uh, the two 
you know, had take, taken the top. And like I said, they let two down, you know, the two gets to start before the field anyway. And the only, the only time you can actually, there is a new rule now where you can pass the, the, the leader before the start finish line. If the leader bobbles, you know, in the restart zone, he has an issue or misses a gear or something like that. They don't penalize you anymore if you pass them, but he got a good clean start. And uh, they decided to, to make this move together for, for the two laps. And then Ryan decided to make his move um, in the last, you know, couple hundred yards there. Um, should we get into what happens there? <laughs> the two yeah, car wins, yeah. Two car wins the race. Two car wins the race. That's uh, And I think that's it. I think that's all we have to talk about. Ryan finishes yeah. uh, fourth and yeah, we're good, fourth, right? Finished fourth. It was a, it was <laughs> great, a great, day, great start to the season. Nothing start else. the season, get some good points out of it, uh, you know. No, yeah, I mean it was an exciting couple of laps. I mean, I was I wasn't really sure what was going to happen exactly on this green white checker, um, but it, when Austin got that really good start through the restart zone, it became pretty clear that the strategy should be him slip down uh, in front of Ryan. They can try to push themselves out ahead of the rest of the pack, and then I think ideally the plan was going to be that then they just decide the race the race between the two of them. In my perfect perfect world, they would have just been drag racing the two of them to the finish line. Um, I think that's what Ryan tried to do. He ended up getting an amazing push from Bubba Wallace. Um, I tweeted out on the Team Blaney account. Thanks after the race. Thanks Bubba for the for the push. He he nearly nearly pushed Ryan to the win in the five hundred. So, um, but obviously, what happens here? Ryan gets that great run, swaps himself up moves himself up into the outside line that again, I think the intention was to just try to drag race the two to the finish line, but the two turned right. And uh, as Ryan would say, fenced him <laughs> and two then immediately turned down left and forced uh, the 23 down slightly below the double yellow line and the two wins the race. So um it wasn't just a, I would say, a, a quick hit of Ryan. There's, there's a lot of tire smoke, and Ryan kind of ended up getting a little bit out of control, bounced off the wall a couple of times, and actually ended up uh, nosing into the wall too and spinning out after the finish line. So, um, yeah. Uh. There, 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 okay, so this is one thing. Um, in the moment, you know, the whole universe uh, that we, you know, that the, those are following the race on social media goes crazy. Um, and if you listen to the audio, that's part of it. You hear, you heard a swear word. You heard somebody who was mad, um, in the moment. Uh, yeah, everybody's mad. Um, how quickly you recover from that. And it, you know, is, is to be said, uh, things have been said and they've been said in the right manner pretty much since then. Um, but I'm sure deep down inside, you know, you can't be happy with the situation. Uh, but let's look at it from the other person's perspective. Last year, two Penske cars beat the crap out of each other in turns three and four, letting somebody else win. This year, two Penske cars get to what? I don't know how many hundred yards away from the finish line. Yep. Okay and have it happen there so what ryan says post-race about a penske car was going to win the race you know he did make sure of that it wasn't his and he wasn't happy in that manner but like i said let's turn around and look from the other perspective the other perspective is the guy who won 
And the guy who won is looking at a little thing on his dashboard that shows him a rear view camera now of what's behind him. And at that point in time, he doesn't know what car is behind him. The spotter could be saying 12 and the 23 all he wants, but he has no clue who's behind him. And all he's trying to do is make his car as wide as possible from that point to the finish line. Because if you watch it, not only does he go up to the right for Ryan, he goes down to the left and make sure that Bubba doesn't get to him either. If he stays in his straight line and doesn't do either of those things, both those guys may pass him by the start finish line, both of them. And then what? Well, good day for you. You did good. You finished third. Well, there's only one way to win from the position he was in, and that was to, to defend as much track as possible. Causing damage, causing a wreck. We've seen them at the start finish line at the end of these races. You know, Ryan Newman, you saw him on, on his hood a couple of years ago, you know, and there was, that was just people trying to defend the last hundred yards of the race. Um, you know, I want Ryan to win more than anybody in, you know, out there. I definitely, definitely do. And I could be, you know, definitely see him being mad and he could, he might be mad at Austin forever. You may never know. He, he's not going to publicly give you a lot of that. He calmed down pretty quick. I'm sure afterward, deep down it's there, I'm sure. But if his shoe was on the other foot, I guarantee you he'd have done the same thing. And he has done he the has. same thing. He has. Ask Eric Jones. <laughs> <laughs> that's the funny part ryan's done it so um it was talladega one of the talladega yep. races correct so you brought that up right away that that day and it kind of calmed me down too because i'm like yeah this is like it's you're damned if you need to do and you're damned if you don't um did he do everything it took to win from the position he was in yes he did wallace came up and gave him a great great bump he had a great great run coming on the outside if he's able to run that line without any issue, yeah, he might have passed him. They would have drug, they would have drag raced to the yep. end. They'd have side drafted. And like I said, if if Cindric holds his line through all the way down the track, Wallace has a chance too. The three of them could end up right on top of each other, right at the line and having to take a photo finish. And it would have been spectacular. But like I said, from the position that Austin's in, he's looking, like I said, he's looking through a little mirror listening to trying to listen to the spotter but at that point it's all helter skelter you can see the finish line and you're just trying to make your card as wide as possible defend any run and that's the other thing too we were told uh, you know i got you know info talking with uh, josh last week about how the runs come faster okay so uh, with this car the runs are coming faster and your reaction time even if you've got great reaction time might not be quick enough so maybe he thought he could cut off that run and he was going to cut it off. And then he hesitated and he caused, you know, he caused what happened to happen. But, you know, in that split second of a decision, that's all he could do, you know, was see if he can defend the turf. So, you know, really, 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 Ryan is so good at these super speedway races and he's definitely proven it every time out, except for when he's involved in somebody's mess. And that happens to all the guys at some point. Um, one of these is coming, you know, we saw, we get to see, we got to see the Daytona one last year in the summer. Um, you know, it's, it's a great thing when it happens. Um, it's a long season. 
you know, so we're going to go on and we're upward from, from this, but uh, everybody who wanted to hammer uh, Cindric, uh, you know what? It wasn't like the situation with Joey and Brad last year. Yeah. If Austin makes that move back on the backstretch. Okay. Yeah. That's stupid. But for him to make that move right in front of the start finish line with the race about to end, it's not a dumb move. And, 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 and at that point, like I said, I don't even know if he knew Ryan was there. Uh, if it was that he didn't even know it was Ryan um, listening to the teardown uh, with Jeff Gluck, Jeff followed the winner. And then he told me like afterward, he's interviewing um, Austin. They're on a golf cart two hours after the race. And Austin asked Jeff, was Ryan in a wreck? Austin didn't even see the video two hours after the race was over two years after all the pomp and circumstance, he hadn't even seen the video yet. He had no idea what he did to Ryan. So I don't really have much uh, more to add. I mean, like, just like you, my initial reaction was anger. I was angry. And then I watched the replay about 70 times. And then later that night, I watched it about another 70 times. (laughs) Um, But it's like uh, my immediate thought went back to that. Those two Talladega wins that Ryan has, where I think both of them, there's crashes at the, at the end. Um, I think that's this last one. He outdueled Stenhouse to the the finish line, but he definitely, I think it was Eric Jones that he just fenced him uh, as, as he, as Brian would say uh, to make sure he cut off that run too. And it was actually maybe a little bit more aggressive than what Austin did. So I can't be mad. I'm, I, if Ryan was leading this race, he would have done, I'm pretty sure the same thing. I think what I think I said earlier, what Ryan was hoping for was the drag race between the two Penske cars to the finish line. Didn't necessarily get that opportunity. So that's kind of our thoughts on it. Why don't we go? I have the audio pulled up that um, Bob Pockris from Fox Sports when he caught up with Ryan because Ryan didn't get interviewed on TV. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he got in a crash. He was on the hook and then had to go uh, to the infield uh, the medical center. So right. they did. Bob was able to catch up with Ryan after he came back out of the care center. Uh, these were Ryan's kind of immediate thoughts uh, as soon as he, he, he popped out of there. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Last lap pushed, I uh, got just good pushes on the bottom from the 23 and, and I was able to get Austin in front and off of four. We, uh, uh, we're, we're good enough to be able to make a move and uh, it got blocked and I ended up getting fenced. So I'm happy for Roger Penske uh, winning the 500 on his birthday. Happy for Jeremy Bullens um, and everyone uh, that works on that two car. Uh, so just one of those things that didn't work out. We still ended up fourth, but I don't know another perfect position we could have put ourselves in to win the race. So you'll hear a lot of this from Ryan and any other subsequent interviews that he said, happy for Penske, happy for Jeremy Bullens. Um, slowly starts to add in more happy, you know, congratulations to Austin Sindrick and that two team, but it did seem like it took a little bit, a little while here uh, for him to, to warm up a little bit more to congratulating Austin. And then, so that was immediately after the race. So this is an interview a clip from an interview again from Bob Pockris with Austin Sindrick, but it happened Monday morning when they were going through some of the media availability for the Daytona 500 winner. And he was asked whether or not he regretted the move that he uh, pulled on Ryan uh, kind of putting him up into the wall in, in order to win the race. I have absolutely zero regrets. I, I think that everybody behind me put themselves in position to win the race, and I think I did the same, and uh, obviously it worked out quite well. So uh, just really proud of the effort, proud of the teamwork there, proud of the teamwork with Fords throughout the race. So uh, I've, got, I've got zero complaints and zero regrets. 
So that's kind of what you've heard from Austin and his subsequent interviews as well. And I think he's, he's justified it. I think if this was Ryan, he'd be saying pretty much nearly the exact same things. Um, so yeah, again, as fans, it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be frustrated. Um, you can be a little bit mad for now. Um, but I think one thing that you've kind of been talking about, Steve, and you might want to talk about a little bit more is that in, in these last couple of years, I think I said a little bit, you know, in, in 2020 and then definitely 2021, we've seen a more outwardly aggressive uh, Ryan Blaney. And I think you, you mentioned it as in a fire, a fire that's in him right now. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are things like uh, they said that like uh, that the him and the Jones incident was buried from, uh, from, from two weeks ago. I guarantee you it's not, you know, there, there's a public persona uh, and face um, that, that he does a great job with, but behind the scenes, deep down, these things are still there. And when opportunity is there to make a move or do something uh, in and around some of these guys on the track, he, he, he the, the memories are long, you know, um, what, what's the saying about asking for uh, forgiveness instead of asking for permission? Um, you know, that's, that's the attitude. We're just going to make the moves from here on in. And uh, later on, we'll apologize for them, you know, if we have to, but uh you know, most of these guys that win these races anymore, that's how they win them. They don't win them by, you know, the days of the gentleman driver are long gone. It seems like, um, Ryan does a good job of, of showing that he is a good, good guy and good teammate and, and, and gentleman. And that, and that's something I love about him. Um, but, uh, you know, on the track, you gotta, you gotta flip a switch sometimes. And, uh, he, you know, he, he definitely wanted to do it right. And especially since he's a teammate and actually he did do it right. You know, like I said, it wasn't like Logano and Keselowski last year doing it, you know, half a lap from the end of the, end of the race, you know, they did it right at the start finish line and tried to make that move. Um, but like I said before, it's a long season too. So, you know, we're, you know, we're going to be moving on next week to another track and another race and, and, and new adventure with this car. So, um, there's a lot of big picture thinking too. Um, because this is a season where we're, we're, we got to the final eight last year and, you know, I'm sure he's looking at making it a little bit further this year, you know? So that's oh, the big yeah. picture, you know, big picture is what came along. I think, you know, you get that initial interview with these guys and they're kind of fired up and yes, you got the radio, you know, you heard, if you heard the radio thing, radio call or saw it on Twitter with Stellanarius, you went, Oh, you know, yeah. you, <laughs> you want to be the same way. And it's extremely understandable. Um, but a little bit of time, a little bit of thought and, um, you know, and a chance to kind of wind down from it, talk it over with people, talk it over with the, I'm sure I, I put a, a thing on Twitter with, uh, uh with a guy, uh, looking at him outside the door at, uh, at the Penske headquarters, trying to listen through the door, you know, because the conversations on Monday had to be really interesting there, you know, and I'm sure that, um, a lot of good things were actually said about Ryan um, to Ryan and, and uh, to each other. Um, he's the kind of guy that you definitely want as a teammate. So uh, these things will get better for him. I'm sure, you know, and, uh, and sooner or later this season, like I said, there'll come a moment where he'll have to do something to one of those guys and he'll do it, <laughs> you yeah. know, 
you can push it around long enough uh, with your own teammates and, and you'll, you'll take care of it, but um, you still want some camaraderie within, within the, uh, the building, you know, and uh, you gotta, gotta work, work, uh, work at doing that sometimes. And that's uh, just one, a uh, couple other things just to mention, and definitely this is worth mentioning and it's easy for winners to be gracious, but um, from Austin to Jeremy Bullins, uh, spe- especially Jeremy Bullins to Roger Penske, each one of them in one way said Austin Sindrick wouldn't have won the Daytona 500 without Ryan Blaney. Um, Tim, he's Tim an Sindrick amazing. Too. Yeah. Tim Sindrick too, an amazing team player. Couldn't thank him enough for what he did. Um, uh, one report I read described Jeremy Bullins uh, being pretty emotional and actually kind of breaking down a little bit, talking about Ryan. Uh, Jeremy was Ryan's longtime crew chief from the Xfinity series to going to the Wood Brothers, to going to Team Penske until a couple of years ago when they made that crew chief swap. And Jeremy had said, you know, you know, in that saying that he uh, really thought that he and Ryan were going to win a 500 together too. So um, that's worth mentioning. One other thing just to clear up too, just in case other people haven't seen it, was that there were some reports out there that Ryan had gone to Victory Lane um, specifically from Jeff Gluck and he thanked every or went and congratulated everybody but Austin and kind of he didn't specifically say he snubbed him and left, but he had understood that Ryan hadn't said anything to Austin and left victory lane, but Jeff had come out later on um, Monday or Tuesday and, and just clarified saying, actually, you know what? I had other people come up and, and talk to me now. He's kind of retracting that story saying, no, Ryan did in fact go and personally congratulate Austin and victory lane. So Jeff's, I mean, Jeff's a great guy, great reporter. Um, if you don't have the athletic subscription, you probably should, especially, uh, to read his stories and listen to their podcast to the teardown. It's always kind of fun. So um, Jeff, again, I, it's understandable. And he has kind of gone above and beyond right now to kind of correct that story and that message too. But if there are any other Blaney fans out there that still think that Ryan didn't uh, go and congratulate Austin and victory lane, that's kind of a false narrative. It actually did happen. So, but really just in the end here. So what, what were we looking at? He had a, a really good race. The next-gen gen cars, as I said earlier, still looks like Daytona at Daytona. Not worried about that. Ryan and Josh Williams work together amazingly still, uh, just as they always have on these super speedway tracks. And that was really good to see that that skill set still transfers over to these cars. Um, they almost, you know, for what, this is his third? Well, it wasn't a runner-up finish, but it almost was. So uh, at third or fourth shot that he really had at winning the 500 and coming up short. So as you said, their day is coming, but in the end finished fourth, great start to the season season finish wise, didn't pick up any stage points, but um, that pretty much wraps up the recap specifically of the Daytona 500, but we do kind of have one little element here. Um, We're recording this on a Tuesday night and normally penalties and other things from NASCAR have come out at this point. Um, But we are still awaiting word. The fact that before was it before, after the dual races, um team penske and rfk racing all had all of their next gen wheels confiscated um brad keselowski from rfk is calling what the mod i don't even know if i want to call it modifications or what they've done to the the wheel itself uh he called it they did it for safety purposes Uh, Roger Penske has come out and said that, you know, he thought the team had been in contact with NASCAR about these things that they wanted to do to their wheels, that they felt that all the wheels weren't coming out identical from the the factory that they're, they're purchasing them from. And essentially when this new um, 
this new aluminum wheel goes onto the car. It has all these little tiny holes that go around to where the, the lug nut goes in and fastens and, and these little holes kind of guide the, the, the wheel onto the hub. And I think it sounds like from what some of the sources have said and, and different people on Twitter that what Penske and RFK was doing was kind of smoothing, smoothing out these holes to make it easier for the wheel to slip on and off of the car. Um, like I said, Roger Penske said that they were pretty upfront about it and told NASCAR like, Hey, this is a thing that we're thinking about doing, or we have done and all this stuff. Um, so he's been saying they've been transparent about it and that NASCAR just didn't get back to him. Again, that's Roger Penske saying that I know he's, you know, as high as you can go at Penske, uh, yeah. at team Penske, but, um, he's, maybe he's he doesn't he, know all the intricacies of things, but he says he's yeah. got a chain of emails. Yeah. So he's got emails going at least one direction, whether so, or not they were answered correctly or not. So uh, the thing we're waiting and maybe, I don't know, by the time you're listening to this, maybe it's already come down, but we're just a little anxious right now because NASCAR was pretty straightforward when it came to next gen parts and pieces in the car that um, teams that mo- made a modification to a stock part that they were not supposed to modify were going to be penalized in a very here's, serious fashion. And we just don't know. There could be a penalty. There couldn't be a penalty. But right now, it, uh, it makes me nervous. Here's the safety issue that I have. Okay. So let's say they don't slip on there properly. Okay. Let's say they don't do the modifications. These things, you got to you gotta hit them exactly right to get it on there. Let's say you don't hit it exactly right to get it on there. And yet you put try to put that lug nut on. And all of a sudden, you cross-thread that lug nut or something. One lug nut, I know it shouldn't happen, right? But the wheel's not sitting properly. Is that possibly what happened to Kazgrala? And if it is, then isn't this a modification all the teams should be allowed to make? I know we're not, you know, we don't, they don't want their zero tolerance policy on modificating all these parts uh, because all these teams are supposed to have the same exact thing. But the reality is, is if it is a safety problem, if it ends up being something that happens again at California to even one team, because that tire wasn't seated properly on, on that uh, hub, then maybe we ought to let them all do it. Maybe NASCAR ought to have somebody who sits there and that's all they do before they hand out the wheels. Yeah. You know? Just don't really know which way this is going to go. Um yeah, it, it's rough. I think what they do have going against them is the fact that there really was only one true tire issue in this or wheel issue in this race, aside from the 31, which we're really not sure what happened there. So all of those pit stops, again, they're mostly two tire stops, but all of them happened throughout the day and there really was only one issue. So how big of a safety issue is it? Is it when there's only kind of one small issue that happens with the team? Uh, that's something that NASCAR is going to have to decide. Um, I do know it kind of put a little bit of a strain on the RFK teams and team Penske, the fact that they came down here with all these wheels they'd already modified and they had them all taken away. So I think they did have to scramble in the end to get the wheels together to run in the 500. So um, again, not sure how this is going to work out. Maybe you guys will know that are listening now by the time this, this episode comes out, but it's just something to see and just a, a lesson in the rest of this year, just can't modify parts. And if you do, you really got to have the express written consent of NASCAR to do it. I, um, you know, we, I try to listen to a couple podcasts before we do our podcast too. Um, like you mentioned the teardown earlier, and usually that one is up by like early Monday morning. Um, the door bumper clear guys are usually in there somewhere at some point. Uh, the one I want to listen to, and it probably be out tomorrow is stacking pennies because they have, um, 
uh, was it Brian Flores on there and he's a pit crew guy and uh, he'll be able to maybe address it more. Um, but from the different things I've heard, you, you know, that uh, that tire getting hung up and not being able to get it on properly could, could end up being an issue. And uh, if these guys, you know, feel that it's not right, not safe, you know, they knew with the old hub tire wheel, I'm sorry, uh, five lug nuts. And they knew if they put three of them on there properly, just three of them triangulated them, they knew that wheel wasn't going anywhere. And then they knew if um, <clears throat> there was a failure and it started to wiggle and they felt a vibration, the vibration got worse, they knew to bring it in. Okay. This situation is there may be no warning, just like what happened to Cosgrala. It just pops off, you know. Only so, devil's advocate thing I'll say again is the fact that all these other racing series have been using the single lug hub for decades. IndyCar okay. uses it. F1 uses it. The NASCAR okay. one might be slightly different, but um, well, if they can, the I feel like if they can do it, NASCAR can figure it out. Well, that, that's my only thinking is, is what's on the backside of that wheel the same as all the other series too? Do they have a hub where these little notches have to hit these holes? Um, you know, that's my question, you know, and if it, if it is, that's great. But also if it is, maybe look around, maybe those series are doing the same thing. Maybe they're all widening those holes yeah. out too. So maybe we'll see. Like, it, maybe, maybe that's why it works in those series. Yeah. So which maybe that's a thing. <laughs> maybe that's why, you know, you know, Penske team Penske has that whole IndyCar side. So maybe you're mm -hmm. right. That's something they do. So again, hopefully this, by this week, we'll get some more clarification on really what they did and what NASCAR is going to do going forward. Um, they're definitely more informed and understand the engineering and, and the parts and pieces and mechanics of all of this. So, but, so we can really only speculate. The only thing that just bothers me is the fact that we have to worry, <laughs> we have to worry about, you know, get this fourth place finish team Penske wins the 500. And then there's this kind of, you know, elephant in the room as to whether or not that they uh, might take a hit when it comes to points or a fine. Yeah. I mean, fine. I don't care about, it. I don't have to pay anything out of pocket uh, yeah. points. I care about because that can affect uh, the playoffs. So, yeah. All right. So that pretty much wraps up again, Daytona for us. Uh, um, thanks for everyone for following along through, through our, uh, our clash episode and our Daytona preview episodes there that Steve and Kate had done. And then our first recap episode of the year. Um, just want to quickly mention the race that's coming up next. Uh, NASCAR is going out uh, for the first race of the West coast swing out to auto auto club speedway for the wise power 400 this Sunday, February 27th, again at Auto Club Speedway. This is still the larger version of Auto Club Speedway because remember, um, after they their visit there in 2020, they had announced that they were going to turn this thing into a short track, uh, made that announcement. Everyone was, not everyone, but a lot of people were excited and another adding another short track to the schedule and they're doing it at a place um, in, a, in a bigger market, that kind of a thing. Well, they haven't done it yet. <laughs> it's still, they haven't made any reconfiguration in the way that they've talked recently. It's kind of up in the air now, whether they will or not. And honestly, the last couple trips out to auto club have been pretty decent races. So, um, I'm not really in a rush for them to change that, but, um, again, this year we're back to having practice and qualifying. So they're going to have practice and qualifying, qualifying on Saturday, and then you can catch the race at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday on Fox and on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. We talked a little bit this year about, um, but go ahead. The, the practice is only like, what, a half an hour? 
Yeah, I think like practice is about a half hour and then um, qualifying right. itself is like 60 minutes. So I think it's like a 90 minute process altogether. So you really yeah. don't have that much time. Yeah, it's all like right there, right together on Saturday. So and it's a half hour, but you have to remember that that's two different groups. So you really only have 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, um, you know, if they just run mock qualifying runs and so forth. Um, it also be interesting uh, for to not do my fantasy lineup until uh, after qualifying. Yeah. Now, and we'll, we'll, now, that we, now that we have qualifying. Yeah. Things are a little bit different this year for sure. So you get a little bit of taste of, of practice. You get some qualifying. Uh, you'll get, there'll be two rounds of qualifying that second round, just like it was this past week. Uh, the top 10 get to run another lap for the pole. Um, going to be interesting to see what the next gen car does this. They've had tests at different places in Charlotte and, and Phoenix and some other stuff. So this will be the first real race that they are on one of, you know, what of NASCAR's more normal tracks that you could say that they're going to go to. So again, stats, who knows what they mean? I mean, it did show that Ryan has always been good at Daytona. Uh, at least running, not always finishing, but pretty decent has that win at Daytona. And then they, that still transferred over, but they're going out to Fontana here for the first time with the next gen car. But previously Ryan in five starts has three top tens, one top five, the last uh, start that he had out there, he led 54 laps, but finished 19th. Um, and that was in, if you remember, that was in that Kobe Bryant tribute body armor car a lot mm -hmm. i know a lot of people have the die cast of that thing <laughs> so yeah. um that was the last time they were out there so who knows what it's going to be like with the next gen car steve and i or steve you're here so <laughs> we've talked previously about what's really going to happen is, is hendrix still just going to be the powerhouse because their engines have been so much better the last couple of years has roush yates caught back up and it'll be a little bit more even of a playing field I mean, for me, it's like all these teams have the same car kit put together. Is this where engineering is really going to show up um, to show like those little tiny changes that the big teams can make, maybe that the smaller teams can't make? It's a lot of unknowns that I think might be kind of answered or at least show when NASCAR makes its first trip out there to Auto Club Speedway. Yeah. Did, um, did you want to talk about the fantasy? I do. Uh, and that's kind of where we're going next. So you just <laughs> mentioned the fact that practice and qualifying is going to uh, maybe limit the time that you have. I know me, I was right back to setting my lineup this past week on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And um, for those that were surprised the first time that they set up their fantasy lineup, um, they seems like each year they've tweaked it a little bit, the way that fantasy works when it comes to bonus picks. Um, so this year they've tweaked it into more of, it's kind of almost more betting. Like it's kind of like a prop bet heads up head to head thing for fantasy for the, the bonus pick. So no more are you picking like the winning manufacturer or winning team and that kind of stuff. Now it's a, it, they give you kind of a listing of head to head stuff. So I did not do well <laughs> in fantasy uh, this uh, for this first race in the team Blaney NASCAR fantasy live league. Let me run through who my starters were and my strategy when it comes to super speedway races is to kind of think outside of the box. Think of some guys that you think will make it to the end and at least get a top 10 finish or that kind of a thing. Or, um, I mean, stages, you just never know where guys are going to be regardless. So I just don't want to use up all of my Kyle Larson's and Kyle Bush's and even Ryan's. I had I did have Ryan in the garage and I never actually even took him out despite the fact that I had some guys crash out in my lineup. But I went into the race with Harrison Burton, Eric Jones, Bubba Wallace, Rosh Chastain, and Daniel Suarez as my starters. And quite honestly, all of those guys 
ran up front at some point in this race, but you can probably say that for about 90% of the field. Um, so again, these bonus bonus picks, and they're calling these featured matchups. Uh, the first matchup that you had, you had, you could pick between Ryan and Austin Sidrick. The second one, Alex Bowman and William Byron. The third one, Briscoe and Walt Bubba Wallace. The fourth one, Eric Jones and Daniel Suarez. So in those heads up between Ryan and Austin Sidrick, I Sindrick, I picked Ryan. Uh, we know how that turned out. Sindrick went on to win. Ryan finished fourth. Uh, that second heads-up matchup, I picked Bowman over Byron, and that actually was correct. The third matchup, I picked Briscoe over Bubba Wallace. That was not correct. Bubba went and finished second. Briscoe third, so that was tight. Um, and then that fourth one, I, I had picked Eric Jones over Daniel Suarez, and Suarez actually finished ahead of Jones in 18th. Uh, Jones was 29th. Um, that gave me a grand total of a whopping 85 points and second to last in the fantasy standings for the week. You want to hear something funny? I'm just looking at my bonus picks. My bonus picks, I think, were the same as yours. So you are all on your starting lineup, and now I'm interested. I am interested in what your starting lineup was. Well, I, I chose, uh, you know, I chose based on what I saw in the duels. You know, I wanted to put a bunch of Fords in there. So I had Ryan. I had Austin. I had Chase Briscoe. I had Keselowski. And I threw Bubba in, figuring that he'll be the one Toyota that could probably get his way up in there because he'll work with not only the Toyotas, but he'll work with whoever. So I had five of the top six. And that's pretty good. And, and because of that, right off the bat, immediately, Team Mez there is leading the overall standings in the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League, much to my chagrin. <laughs> so um, I had mentioned the fact that I, uh, second to last, so I am currently in the 63rd position, the only person below me. Well, like, I had 85 points. They had 70 points. And fittingly, uh, they must be Browns fans. Their nickname for the league is the Factory of Sadness. <laughs> and uh, it was sad for the both of us finishing down there at the bottom of the order. Um, but I mentioned on Twitter, um, and again, I think our league has maxed out again here at 100 members. Um, but I'm going to go through the first couple of weeks here. And if you haven't finished or put set up a lineup in the first two weeks, so you are going to be removed from the league to make room for more people that want to join throughout the season. Um, but as we stand right now in the overall league standings, I, again, I mentioned on the, on Twitter that if you finish in the top 10, we're kind of going to give you a shout out each week when it comes to this fantasy segment. So in the first position, Mez 12, 219 points leading the way out of the gate. Um, but right at your coattails in second, mm-hmm. go Blaney, go 217. in third. I think the reigning champion of the team Blaney NASCAR fantasy live league Clyde's chicken pit racing, 216 points, Again, I mean, I'm going to go through these names here and you're going to hear the familiar names. And I just don't know how you people do it on a consistent basis to stay mm-hmm. in the top here. But in fourth, Supermod. In fifth, Frygal 1 or Frygal 12 with 205 points. In sixth, Data Nerd for the win. That's a new one. In seventh, yeah. an old one, Glitterbugs. In eighth, Team Penske, another old one. Also tied for eighth, Rochi 12. Tenth, the Dalai Lama four. So all of, you know, about half of the top 10 here are people that are returning um, from the first couple of years that we've done this fantasy league. And um, it's good to see everybody back. And again, Mm -hmm. in in a couple of weeks here, when I eliminate some folks, you might be able to jump in as well and get in on this. But 
yeah, it's saying it's just consistent. You guys, I mean, you, yeah. you, you hang around the top 10 pretty much all year long for the last couple of years. And it amazes me. And even though I think I have the better strategy, I always come on strong in the playoffs and I usually end up finishing around the top 10 by the end of the year. And I don't know if it's just out of practice or what, but yeah, it just seems like I, uh, I started out the gate on my face. I tripped and well, fell <laughs> right at the start finish line. That's, that's, that's the thing is don't be discouraged by one week. Um, if you haven't joined yet and you want to, it's the team Blaney podcast fantasy live and on that, on NASCAR's, uh, uh, app and website and, you know, free to join. And we'll not only do like the top 10 in the standings overall, but then we'll do like the top 10, uh, uh of that week, you know, so you can win any individual yep. week too, you know? So, um, if you haven't, you know, you're still in there and you haven't set a lineup, uh, set a lineup for next week and uh if you want to join you know jump up on there look at it tell us if you can't get in um we'll we'll bump somebody who's inactive and uh we'll make sure we get you in there you know it's a lot of fun like i said we talk about it each week um and uh you know interact with us online with it too uh it's a lot of fun uh, adam and i do mess with each other a lot on it but we uh we really enjoy doing it uh just to see what other other people do clyde's chicken pit racing i just love trying to compete with that that person whoever it is because they really do a good job of of knowing their lineup knowing who they've used so far and then by the end of the year they they haven't run out of people they seem to have a good lineup each week yeah and two that i want to give a shout out to if they haven't if they are listeners to the podcast and i th- i think they are moon cup and doug k0525 you two were again consistently in the top 10 last year from week to week and you uh, didn't set lineups for this first week and we're going to really miss you in the fantasy league. So uh, moon cup and Doug K zero five, two, five, make sure you set up a lineup next week. We want to have some more fun. So um, again, heading out to Fontana auto club speedway uh, for the wise power 400 this weekend. And like I said, there's a, there's a lot to look forward to uh, when it comes to the next gen car out on a track like this. And uh, a lot to look forward to when it comes to our next recap episode of the Team Blaney podcast. So really, honestly, thank you once again, everyone, for tuning into this episode of the Team Blaney podcast. If you'd like to learn more about myself or co-host Steve, check out our debut episode from last year, our first season that dives deep into how we became fans of the Blaney racing family. You can interact with us on Twitter and Facebook at Team Blaney and on Instagram at team.blaney. Usually post a lot of photos from when Steve or I actually go out uh, to the, see the races in person. And then finally, as we always close out the show with this, we want to encourage you to help support the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization championed by Ryan and his family supports causes like the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation online at ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org or on all of their active social media channels. Yeah, don't forget um, they've got an event coming up in May, May 24th uh, at the Top Golf Charlotte. They're doing a golf outing uh, for a fundraiser this year. And um, it looks like a pretty cool event. I I've never played at a top golf. There's one like maybe an hour from me here. I've never, never really done it, but uh, I don't think you have to be a pro golfer uh, to, to play in something like that. Uh, so make sure you go to their website and check that out. Uh, that's their next big fundraiser this year. So uh, take a look at, uh, at the, the uh, family foundation page and uh, find it there. Yeah. And it's definitely fun. As you know, jo- uh, uh, Josh Williams, Ryan spotter is huge into golf. 
And Ryan himself has taken up the sport over the last couple of years. And if you look at the at the social media for the Family Foundation, there's uh, some fun uh, photos of Ryan in a in some interesting golf gear. So check that stuff out and and see what you can do. I think they're looking for businesses to sponsor this thing as well and players to play. And they are very specific in different tiers of this uh, competition that they're going to have. Um, it doesn't matter what your skill level is; they'll fit you in somewhere, and you can have some fun. And Top Golf uh, is is a fun place to go to if you haven't been to one. So. Go ahead and check that out. But for now, for my co-host, Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Team Blaney Podcast. Good night, Dublin. Good night, Brussels. <laughs>